You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Matthew 6, verse 5 to 15, the Lord's Prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners. They may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into a room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Your father who sees in secret will hold you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for I think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray them like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. You will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, brilliant. Great, great stuff. Okay, so we're several weeks into our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't know about you, but I'm finding it both very inspiring and also a little overwhelming. Uh, I've kind of suggested that the Sermon on the Mount is basically Jesus Christ's kingdom manifesto. He's telling us what it looks like to live in God's kingdom under his rule. And it's an inspiring picture that we get. God's people are the kind of people who are meek and humble. They're peacemakers. They pray for their persecutors. But it's also uh, overwhelming too. Uh, Because we're called to love our enemies. We're called to put away all kinds of sin, even the stuff that's deep within our heart, the things that are fun or attractive for us to do. In fact, last week we kind of got to the point where Jesus says, look, just be perfect as your Father in heaven is. And and I had a number of people come up to me and said, oh, gosh, that is so challenging. And so I feel like this whole sermon that Jesus is giving us is both inspiring and overwhelming. And I don't know about you, but it makes me want to pray. As I feel confronted and challenged and convicted and inspired, I want to pray to God about that. And thankfully, he's given us a prayer to pray. Uh, This week, we come up to the Lord's Prayer, and it seems so symbolic and, and helpful that it's right in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount, because I think this is a prayer that really helps orient our thinking towards what Jesus is saying. It helps us truly become kingdom people living under Christ's rule. And I think as we pray this prayer, as we see the values of this prayer and start to embrace them in our lives, we will become kingdom people. And so today, I want to just spend some time going through this petition, uh, through this prayer. You will know this prayer so well. 
We all kind of know this prayer. So I want to unpack each of the elements of this prayer and help you see uh, what God is doing in this prayer. And then just a couple of reflections right at the end. Okay, well, it begins, our Father in heaven. And I feel like these first four words of the Lord's Prayer are almost the most important. You see, you won't know uh, how you pray. How you pray is shaped by who you pray to. And we must know before anything else that we pray to a God who calls himself our Father in heaven. He's our Father because he is the creator of all things, Acts 17. In him we live and move and have our being. He's the source of life for all things that have life. And he's our Father because he's adopted us as his children through the work of Jesus Christ. Galatians 4, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, there's something just so beautiful about this picture, that God is our Father. Uh, The writer Albert Hayes says, The name suggests immediacy, familiarity, approachability, trust, respect, and love. See, the infinite, almighty God, the source of all life, wants you to know that he is your Father, that he's close. This means that when you begin praying, you can know that God wants to hear what you say. God wants to hear your prayers. It's actually quite telling. The context here in verse 7, Jesus says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. There's sort of this context where the the pagan people of the time uh, were trying to get the attention of their gods, and they thought, the more I say, that finally I'll be noticed. But Jesus says, no, 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 you don't need to stress. God is your Father because he made you and he saved you, and so he wants you to come and pray to him. Just like a good earthly father, he wants you to come and speak to him, to sit on his lap and to bring your life before him. God wants to hear our prayers. But here's the second thing. He doesn't just want to hear them. He's able to answer them. Why? Because he's our father in heaven. John Stott explains, the words in the heavens denote not the place of his abode so much as the authority and power at his command as the creator and ruler of things. Thus he combines fatherly love with heavenly power and what his love directs, his power is able to perform. Or as he summarises, God is not only good but great. He doesn't just want to hear our prayers, he's able to answer them. He's our heavenly father. And then we're told, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we're told to pray to God as our Father. And then we're told about this God. Uh, The word hallowed basically means to to treat something as holy, as sacred, as special, as important. And so we're told to treat God's name with that. Uh, God's name is kind of a shorthand for who God is. Uh, Names have a power. They, They conjure up meaning. They stand for the person that they represent. And it's the same thing with God. His names express who he is, his character, his identity, what he wants us to experience of him. And so the Heidelberg Catechism explains, hallowed be your name means help us to truly know you, to honour, glorify and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them, your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy and truth. So do you see how we begin our prayers? 
We're told to pray to God and then we're told about this God. Before we get into anything else, he wants us to, to spend some time meditating on who he is, understanding who he is. And then finally, in verse 10, we get to kind of this petition, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I would say that this is a petition that the world will be all that it could be, all that it should be, all that God made it to be. Uh, in Hebrew, there's, there's a word for it, shalom. It basically means uh, well-being, harmony, completeness, wholeness, a deep, profound sense of rightness. This is everything is as it should be everywhere. Now, of course, if you look around us, that's not the case, is it? Now, why is that? What's happened? See, God created the world perfectly. That's what we're told in Scripture. But then we're also told that the first humans, Adam and Eve, turned away from God. They rebelled against God. They defied him. And then everything fell apart because of that. This explains the chaos inside us and around us because we have also resisted God's rule. But this prayer is the start of something different. This prayer is saying, God, I know that I've done this, but I want to be part of your kingdom now. I want to live under your rule. See, the glorious thing is that God didn't leave the world as it was. Jesus stepped into the world and we see him bringing the kingdom with him. So we see it in his power, the way he healed the sick, released people from demon possession. We see it in his character, in his insight, in his caring leadership and in the way he looked after those who no one else cared for, the outcasts. And we see it in his teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. We see the, the values of the kingdom. We see all of those things. And so this is a prayer saying, God, I want that to be my life too. I want to have those values. I want to follow Jesus and to live like him. I want to be salt and light in the world. I want to preserve that which is good and shine God's light of truth and goodness. And then it's a prayer that everyone around us will as well. And so when we pray this petition, we're, we're praying that God would work in the hearts of those around us, our friends, our neighbours, the people that we love, our family, our political leaders, that they would have God's wisdom, God's goodness in their lives. It's a beautiful prayer. And yet I actually find often that it's a very hard prayer to pray because I think this is a prayer of submission. And we find submission hard. I've quoted this before, but the, the Australian writer Mark Sayers says that we want the kingdom without the king. We want all of the good things, all of that shalom, that peace and prosperity and life and all of that stuff, but we would love to have that without God in it. And so we spend our lives trying to create this. We try to create our own kingdom following our own will. but It doesn't work because it's only truly possible if we find that with God, if we live under his rule. And so this is a petition saying, God, I submit to your rule. Rule in my life, reign in this world around us. Can you see how this prayer is starting to shape us? And then we get to this lovely petition in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. As Martin Luther put it, this is a prayer for everything necessary for the preservation of this life, like food, a healthy body, Good weather, house, home, wife, children, good government and peace. Basically anything that will make life good and happy. Uh, this includes some prayer for our spiritual needs perhaps and so often 
let's say I've got a, a difficult conversation coming up, I'll pray, God, please give me the wisdom in this moment. This is what I need right now. But it's not just that. It's not just about spiritual needs. It's primarily, I think, about physical needs. And I say that because we often kind of think, oh, we're almost embarrassed to pray for our physical needs. We feel like we have to make everything spiro and, and make sure that's the only stuff that we're praying for. I like what John Calvin said about that thought. This is exceedingly absurd. <laughs> he wants us, we must understand that God is our Father and he loves to give stuff to you. He loves to give you the things that you need. He loves to give you your daily bread. And he wants you to notice it. Psalm 145, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. I love that picture. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. God loves to provide. He invites us to ask him for it. And, and I just love this contrast. You see, so far in the prayer, we have this sense of God's immensity. He's big. His name is hallowed. His kingdom needs to be submitted to and so on. And we're feeling very small by this stage. And then this great, big, infinite God says, how can I help you? The king says, I want to serve you. What can I do for you? Isn't that beautiful? That's what our God wants to do. So bring your needs to him. Don't be embarrassed. I read something the other day that whenever we, whatever we don't pray about means that we assume that we can do it in our own strength. But whatever we do pray about, we're seeking God's strength. So bring your needs to him, whether it's that car park you're looking for because you're late or it's that test that you're studying for or it's that conversation that you've got to, you know, you, it's your first date. You really want it to go well. Pray about it. Don't be embarrassed. God wants to hear that. He wants to provide for us. And as we are reminded of how kind and good and powerful this God is, it's sort of inevitable that the next thing we should pray for about is our sin. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So even though this God is so good, we are sinful. Now, I'll be honest, this is the part of the prayer I, I don't enjoy. I don't enjoy thinking about my sin. And we're the same, aren't we? Like we, we like to downplay our sin whenever we can. Oh, it's just a mistake. It was a misjudgment. We're quick to excuse our sin. Uh, it's an illness, perhaps. We're quick to deny our sin or somehow distance ourselves from it. This is not who I am. You often hear celebrities say these things. This is not who I am. This doesn't align with my, my values. We try to avoid our sin, but the Lord's Prayer doesn't allow us to. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we come to this part of the prayer and we have to confront our sin and we have to deal with what it is, the sinfulness within ourselves and how it affects God, how, how it hurts God, how it angers God. We have to deal with that here. Now, if you've ever prayed the Lord's Prayer publicly, you'll notice there's a couple of different words that people use, sometimes People will say, forgive us our trespasses. That bit takes about two minutes. Trespasses, you hear around the room. 
but uh, sometimes we use the word debts, other times sin. And I think it's actually kind of helpful having all of these words because we're, we're all trying to describe something that's almost beyond description. That's what sin is. Cornelius Plantinger writes uh, that the Bible represents sin as the missing of a target, a wandering from the path, a straying from the fold. Sin is a hard heart and a stiff neck. Sin is blindness and deafness. It is both the overstepping of a line and the failure to reach it, both transgressing and shortcoming. Sin is a beast crouching at the door. In sin, people attack or evade or neglect their divine calling. These and other images suggest deviance. Even when it is familiar, sin is never normal. And that's what the Lord's Prayer confronts us with every time we pray. R.C. Sproul says that sin is like cosmic treason. We have this great king who's created all things and given us all things and we've defied him with our sin. And God says, you need to deal with this. You need to confront this. So even if it's uncomfortable, we need to do this. I used to go to a church where we would say, it was an Anglican church, and we would say uh, uh, the Anglican prayer book uh, every week with this beautiful prayer of confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. And every week you kind of think through that prayer. Where have I fallen short? What have I failed to do? My thoughts, my words, my actions. Because sometimes we can kind of be on a a moral autopilot. We're kind of being nice people. We don't notice any dramatic sins in our life. So we need to take time to stop, to reflect, to read the Sermon on the Mount again perhaps, to read the Ten Commandments, whatever it is, to prompt us to think this is the reality of sin. This is what's happening in my life. And then as we feel that conviction, we say, God, please forgive us. Because the worst thing is if we just say, look, I'm sorry or I can't approach him. No, 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 no. Feel the sorrow and then ask for the forgiveness because God loves to forgive. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you feel your sin, if you confess it, God promises to forgive it. It's as simple and as glorious as that. But you might have a little question here. You see, the Bible also says that when we come to Christ, when we confess our sins, he forgives all of our sins, past, present and future. So so why would I need to pray about this again? It's all done. Romans 8. Verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whatever you do, you can't take away from what Christ has done. So why would I need to keep praying this prayer? Or J.I. Packer suggests it's it's realising how we approach God, not just as a judge but as a father. So it's relational. Let's say I have a conflict with my human father. I might feel the distance coming between us, a coldness or whatever it is. And so I need to say sorry to him. I, I want to draw close to him again. I don't want to have that distance between us. And so it's the same with God. When we sin, when we rebel against him, we start to create, we feel this distance happening. And so we want to draw close to him. This is actually a really good sign of how vital your faith is. When you feel that, 
when you sense a change almost in the relationship with God and you'd want to deal with that. I love David, King David in Psalm 32. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. God is convicting him. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So he feels this distance and he comes back. He rushes back to God and God embraces him. That's why we do this prayer. It helps us feel our sin but also our forgiveness. But it does something else too. It makes us forgiving people. Notice the second part of this. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then Jesus actually pressures this a lot further. In verse 14, after he's prayed the prayer, he says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now that sounds incredibly stark. And I think it is. So C.S. Lewis says, if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. We're offered forgiveness on no other terms. There's no hint of exceptions and God means what he says. Now, if you're anything like me, at this point, I'm kind of panicking and thinking, how do I forgive? Uh, maybe I, I, there's this person, I'll just forgive them. But then you realise how hard it is to forgive how difficult it is to do that. You can't just manufacture this. So what do I do? I mean, Jesus is saying, if you're not a forgiving person, then you can't experience God's forgiveness. So what do I do? Well, actually, we just go back to confessing our sins. You see, I reckon forgiveness is hard because we feel the sin of others more than we feel our own sin. You see... I really feel your sin. <laughs> I think it's reprehensible. It's disgraceful. I can't believe you call yourself a Christian when you're doing this thing. But I feel my own sin in a very different way. Oh, look, there was a reason I did this. You don't understand the context around this. So what I condemn in others, I'll excuse in myself. However, when I deal with my sin really and properly, I get rid of those excuses. I lay it before God openly. Then I feel my sin. And then my approach to you, my attitude towards you changes as well. I can understand how this has happened. I, I don't want to condemn you. I want to love you. God has given me forgiveness and so I want to give you forgiveness. So Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the man who knows he's been forgiven only in and through the shed blood of Christ is a man who must forgive others. He cannot help himself. If we really know Christ as our saviour, our hearts are broken and cannot be hard and we cannot refuse forgiveness. So ask yourself, how much am I experiencing God's forgiveness right now? Because that will change the way I'm dealing with other people. See, it's not that um, we earn our forgiveness by forgiving other people. No, no, no. The Bible is very clear. We are saved by grace, by trusting what Jesus has done for us. It's not by anything that we do. However, if we have truly been forgiven, 
it will change us so profoundly that we can't help but forgive other people. That's a sign that we've been forgiven if we forgive other people. So I hope you, hope you can see that the Lord's Prayer really helps us to think about the reality of sin, our own sin, other people's sin. And then it also goes on now to talk about how we resist sin, verse 13, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Uh, this is a prayer for protection from the evil that is around us. So uh, 1 Peter 5 uh, imagines the devil as a real personal being. That's what we need to understand. It's not just a fantasy or a fable or a picture book or a, a tool to kind of intimidate us. No, he is our adversary. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so when we come to this petition, we're saying, God, protect me from that. You know, we're, we're sensing the devil's tactics. So God, when, when, when he makes me question your words, remind me that your word is true. When he makes me question your authority, help me to submit to your rule. When he makes me think that you're, no, you're not good, as he did with Adam and Eve in the garden, help me, remind me that you are good and that it's worth trusting you. That's what we're praying. We're praying for the evil around us. But we're also praying against the evil within us. You see, the devil tempts us because he, know he, might, he knows he might succeed. James 1, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own sin. Temptation works because there's something in us that the devil knows he can pluck out, that he can fan into flame. And so we pray this prayer and we're saying, God, help me be aware of who I am and to resist the evil that is within me. 1 Corinthians 10, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Be, be aware of who you are. Be aware of the danger points in your life, the, the points where you are vulnerable. No, but then he says this assurance, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Jesus is saying... Uh, Paul here is saying that you can survive a temptation. In fact, if you don't, it's because you haven't sought him out. He's promising his ability, his strength. But the problem is when we're tempted, the last thing we want to do is to pray to God. I know there's this thing that I want to do. I'm tempted by it. I don't want to bring God into that. But Jesus says, please bring me in because I can give you the strength. He withstood all temptation. Hebrews 4 tells us we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but in every way he's been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. And so he can give you his strength when you're tempted. He can help you to resist. But there's another question here. See, it's often struck me as weird that we ask God to lead us not into temptation. The implication seems to be that uh, God is potentially, he could lead us to this place. Why would he do that? Because we know in the Bible that God is not sinful. Psalm 92, there's no unrighteousness in him. He doesn't tempt. James 1, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. And yet he still sometimes seems to allow temptation. Uh, Look at Mark 1, for instance. Jesus, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. It seems clear that Jesus is put into the position where he will be tempted. God knows this is going to happen. So why does he allow it? Well, I think it's because temptations and trials are allowed by God because these are the ways in which he shows us where we're at and he gives us his strength. So you think about a, a, a trial. It's a kind of a test, isn't it? And tests are designed not to, to trip you up but to give you a sense of where you are. Say you've got a spelling test or a maths quiz. It's not there just to trip you up. It's so that you can know how much you've learnt and what you still need to learn, right? And I think that that's what happens also with temptation. J.I. Packer says, God does and must test us regularly to prove what is in us and show how far we've got. His purpose in this is wholly constructive to strengthen us and help us forward. So I don't think when we come to this petition, we're saying, God, please rescue me from this. But if it happens, please strengthen me. Please don't leave me here. Please do something good through even this hard circumstance, whether it's a temptation, whether it's a trial or suffering, whatever it is. Please do something good in it. I love the example of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul says, A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. He's having this trial, this difficult thing, and he knows that it comes from the devil. It's evil. And he's like, God, please help me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he, God, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God chooses to allow this thing to continue so that Paul experiences more of him. He's saying, here's where you're at. I want to give you even more. So I'm going to allow this so that you can experience more of me. And Paul rejoices. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Later on, he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You see that? Wisdom the goodness of God, even in the difficult circumstances. God is leading us. Well, I just love the Lord's Prayer. I just think it's an amazing prayer. You know, I was reflecting during the week that uh, I think we either don't pray because we don't know what to say or we pray and think that we're doing great but we're saying the wrong thing. I think that's generally we're either not confident enough about prayer or too confident. So I think for some of us, some of you here will be very uh, lacking in confidence about prayer. You might think, I don't know what to say. I don't know if God will accept me. Maybe the kids here. How do I pray? I don't know. Here's the prayer you pray. Just pray this prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus gave us. It's simple. It's easy. It's beautiful. It's profound. So often I will just pray this prayer, 50 words. It's a beautiful prayer. In fact, it's actually become uh, my only prayer. Pretty much this is the only prayer I pray. Sometimes it's just the 50 words. Normally it's taking each word as a kind of a springboard. Okay, Father in heaven, I'll thank God. I'll reflect on who he is as my father. I'll think about all the good things he's given me. 
If I'm praying about his kingdom, I'll pray that for our political leaders right now that they'll have God's wisdom or whatever it is. So I'll use each petition as a springboard. And it's, I found it profound because here's the other thing. Often I think we're overconfident about our prayers. We assume that our prayers are great and that God is just listening to everything that we're saying and approving of it. But what I found with this prayer is it's retrained, reframe the way I pray. So I want you to notice the flow of this prayer. How does it start? Well, we pray to God, our Father in heaven. We pray about God, hallowed be your name. And then what's the third thing we do? We pray for God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. At no point have we prayed for ourselves yet. See, normally when I come to prayer, I have this shopping list. Right, God, let's go. And I I really want to pray all of these things. And because of praying this prayer, I've realised I've had to discipline myself that, yes, I can get to that shopping list. He wants me to pray about my daily bread and all of those things. But first, I need to pray to him, about him, for him. And you see what happens? What I've found is as I do that, once I do get to what I need to pray for about myself, it's changed. Either my petition has changed or my whole view has changed. See, maybe I'm anxious about something. As I pray through the Lord's Prayer, I'm reminded that God is my Father, that he's looking after me. I'm reminded that he is the provider. His name, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. His name, Yahweh, uh, the eternal I am. He's been through all of this stuff. He knows how this is going to end. So I can trust that he's in control. I pray for his kingdom and I'm reminded that this is the thing that I need to be focused on. Yes, this thing is something in my life, but it, doesn't, it shouldn't be the only thing. So by the time I get to pray for myself, what I'm praying has changed. My attitude and my, everything has changed. And so I want to encourage all of us to pray through the Lord's Prayer to find ourselves in that. But even when you have a specific thing that you're thinking about, What I like to do is kind of drag that petition through the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you don't have a job or maybe your job keeper's about to run out or maybe you're trying to sell a house, you're about to buy a house, maybe someone in your family is unwell, maybe you're stressing about your kids or whatever it is. Drag your petitions through the Lord's Prayer. Remind yourself who God is that is in control. Ask him to give you a kingdom vision. Confess your sin in relation to that. God, I'm, I'm idolising this house. I'm putting too much store in this. Ask him that you would, this house will be used for his kingdom purposes. If you're looking for a job, ask that you'll be given a job so that you can share your faith with other people, whatever it is. And just see what God does. See how he answers your prayers, but also see how he changes your prayers and how he changes your heart. Simone uh, Wheel says, it is impossible to say this prayer once through without a change taking place in the soul. It's not that the words themselves are magical. It's like a charm or a spell. No, it's that as we pray, we're reminded of who God is, his priorities, his love for us, and he changes us. This is the prayer of the kingdom. This is the prayer that our king gave us. And the more we pray it, the more we'll become kingdom people. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your kingdom, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.